You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. So I, name, I, I don't always label my messages. Sometimes I do just for me so I can find them again later. But I call this one the bellwether. Luke 17 is where we're going to be this morning. I wrote our two uh, areas there. We're going to use my, I, like, I want you to admire my custom map I drew here. I made Florida this big just for you, Ray. It's smaller than that. But I made it the same size as the uh, peninsula of Texas, although we know that's not the case because God bless Texas. There's no song that says God bless Florida, just so you know. Uh, however, I did, uh, this is as best I could do with the marker that I had. So, but we're going to use that, that map there. But here's our two, uh, our two main, Luke and Matthew. Luke 17, Matthew 24, very similar ideas, very similar uh, messages from Christ. One's a little bit more abbreviated than the other. And then Romans 1 through 3, and we're going to work on those this morning. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. Every election, so the, the bellwether thing, let me describe what that is. Every election anywhere, not just in the United States, is a big deal. They call it a bellwether, but what a bellwether is, see, they use these words in the, in the media a lot of times and we hear them and we're just like, we don't want to look dumb, so we don't look up what it means and we just pretend we know. But a bellwether is a castrated male sheep. Didn't even know that, did you? Oh, uh, Charlie Alva was like, really? Yeah, and they put a bell on his neck, Right? And this sheep knows to follow, and he's a leader. The other sheep follow him. So when the shepherd calls the bellwether, a weather is a castrated male uh, sheep, um, he comes, and he falls, and he can hear the bell tinkling as he comes. So when we talk about a bellwether, when they talk about it in politics or in, in the public whatever, in the public view, or in politics, or in just the view of people as a whole, what they mean is a trend, a following. And so elections are supposed to be a bellwether as they speak to what the people are thinking. They're supposed to be. We're assuming there's no corruption and then everything's going like it's supposed to be. But it just means an indicator or thinking of a potential direction change. Something has changed. People, you know, we can use this event to see that people are thinking different than they used to think. So now we are going this way and now we're going this way. And it's been frustrating for us as believers and I want to help you with this because of some things that I heard this week. But it's been frustrating for us to see states like California and Vermont and Mon Mon Montana, I believe, and Michigan all voted in to make constitutional or at least make law, if not constitutional, in their country for this abortion, even after birth. It's a, this uh, um, letting the baby just lay there on the table and die. And that sounds completely ridiculous. I mean, it's beyond ridiculous to think that that would be. In fact, a couple of these states even had laws against infanticide, which would be the killing of a baby. But if a baby is produced alive, comes out alive, and you lay it over here, we lay it outside in the weather until it dies, is that not infanticide? But, so they're even countering their own laws. It's just unbelievably hard to watch. And then, and then we see the, you know, the voting machines that they just can't seem to make work and so on. And it allows for corruption and fraud. And we get frustrated watching these things. And I think one of the big things that it does, and this is part of the game, I believe, is that it pits citizens of one country against one another. Makes you pick a side. And instead of picking, it should be us versus the government or us versus the enemy. But instead, it's us versus us. 
So, you know, you pick this side and you believe in this manner, and I pick this side. And this, so we can't even talk to each other or make eye contact, because if we do, we're going to have to duke it out on the street because we don't think the same. And they've done a great job, our, our government has, and other countries in Peru, where I just was, these people of the communist bent were, were taking people and beating them to death on the street, uh, particularly in the rural areas like Puerto Maldonado, where we were, and up in the mountains. They really had a... Um, they had an influx of these guys, and uh, if you, they would just force you to go to the, the voting booth, and then if you didn't vote for the communist guy, they just beat you up right there. And so it takes a lot of boldness to go against a fellow citizen that says, I'm going to beat you to death if you don't vote how I'm telling you to vote. Unless you think it can't happen here, we're already seeing those kind of interpersonal persecutions of people that don't agree on things political, but all politics in the United States, for we talk about the United States because this is what we know the best. The politics in the United States, how people vote, what they think, is largely almost 100% related to what their theological views are. Ponder that. If you believe that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords, if you believe that the Bible says thou shall not commit adultery, thou shall not murder, thou shall not covet, thou shall worship the Lord thy God and him alone, then you can't vote for this person who says that taking a baby alive and setting it on a table over here to die, you cannot vote for that person. You can't do it. You cannot be a believer and vote. for. You can't be a true understanding believer of the gospel of Jesus Christ and put this like, well, this is God's word, but this is politics. It's different. It's the same. What your heart is is what you do. You say, well, it doesn't really matter. It matters, and we'll see that today. One good Christian lady, I was telling them this morning, she, uh, she came to a friend of mine. She's like, you know, what are we going to do? All hope is lost. And the guy goes, aren't you a Christian? I mean, is your hope tied up in uh, some political leader or not? And, um, but she just, maybe she just forgot that the bringer of hope the salvation of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ is still on the throne. He's not unaware of the persecutions of men or the folly of men. He's not unaware. He still directs. He still leads. And we should take part as believers in whatever aspect that we can, that we possess as citizens, like Paul did. I, I take you back to Paul. Rome was very oppressive. But when Paul was beaten uh, by the Jews, he professed his Romanhood, and the, the Roman guards like, man, I had to buy my, my citizenship, but you're a natural-born Roman citizen. Yes, I am, and you can't treat me that way. He knew his rights as a Roman citizen. You need to know your rights. You need to know the Constitution. You, know, you need to know the Declaration of Independence, and you'll see that you do have the right to speak out publicly, and you do have the right to profess Christ in the public square, and you do have the right to evangelize publicly, and you should take advantage of that right and not sit there silently on your hands. So what we need to do is we need to remember that we are ambassadors for Christ. So I drew us a little picture. I'm a good picture drawer, as you can tell. Um, if I had my crayons, I would have colored it in for you better. But here is our ambassador. Here's the great state of Tennessee, by the way. Here's our castle. You are an ambassador in that castle in the great state of Tennessee. You should thank the Lord every day that you live in the great state of Tennessee. We have good leaders for the most part. We have Christian men and women who seem to have our best interests at heart. We have good, uh, you know, relatively conservative schools and school administrators that they're open to being corrected by the people here. They're not just doing willy-nilly stuff. And when they get caught in that, 
they're disciplined for that and voted in and out, and it's a positive thing. Um, but we should represent the kingdom of God as ambassadors in the kingdom that we exist in. Here's our kingdom. There it is. The, that's it. That's what it looks like. You thought it looked like this long, skinny wedge, but that's what it looks like. That's the kingdom. Look at Luke 17. We got to well represent the future kingdom of God no matter the failures of our earthly temporary home. Luke 17, start at verse 20. We'll just read this to verse 37. Now when he, Christ, was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Then he said to his disciples, The days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here or look there. Do not go after them or follow them. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under the heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, in that night there will be two men in one bed. The one will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding together. One will be taken, the other left. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. And they answered and said to him, Where, Lord? So he said to them, Wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. The first thing it says is the kingdom of God is within you. I don't want to get mystical or weird, but the kingdom of God... Christ, the Lord, provides the Holy Spirit to indwell the believer at the moment of salvation, and that believer has the power of Christ within him. He is told that greater things that I did, you will do. And I don't really see that happening a lot with believers. We do lesser things than he did, out of fear largely, or out of uh, whatever, material gain or whatever we got going on in our life. But as an ambassador of Christ... You have this small kingdom, each individual ambassador has this small kingdom within himself as a part of the larger kingdom of the body of Christ here on earth. It's not our completion. This earth is not our completion. That's an eternity. But within that personal kingdom in your spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, it's okay for you, like Jeremiah, to lament over a nation that once used to be god-fearing and now is not it's okay to lament about those things some of those things are outside of your control but the things that are within your control then control those things but if they're outside their control it's okay to lament about it jeremiah went about lamenting the things that israel was doing he didn't let the king off the hook he didn't let the the other prophets and the priests off the hook he told them where they were off track and he was adamant about it and they threw him in the cistern and they treated him like a dog and, but in the end, he escapes the wrath. And as believers, ambassadors of the kingdom in heaven, today, here, we need to be Jeremiah's. We need to be bold in our witness. Um, when we see, and this is a thing I was just reading in the Bible. I got that from, where's Jan? Jan's not here. That's one of her saying she goes, that's a thing, whatever you say. Oh, that's a thing. Um, this is the thing. 
the thing is, is that uh, um, as here we are in this, I mean, I wish I'd have drawn a bigger castle, but here's this castle, we're within it, and we're looking outside the walls of the castle like Ezekiel, and, and we're the watchman on the wall, and we see the poor, blind, destitute, and naked. We see the lost, we see the pitiful, and we lament for them. And we serve them as best we can. We open the little, I even drew a door on there. The, the door that goes across the moat that gets us into the world, and we go out there and we do what we can. But at night, we come back into the safety and security of the kingdom. You prepare yourself each day, be being filled with the Spirit of God so that when you go out, everywhere you go, it's coming off of you, overflowing rivers of living water out of the innermost part of the man, flowing off onto other people as they receive the Spirit, as they receive the Word of God, and then you bring them into the kingdom, and it fortifies the fort, and we add on to the fortress, and we make it bigger and more powerful here on earth as best we can with the Word of God as the guide, with the proper teaching of the Word, with the correct prophecy and spiritual gifts and so on going on, and we build the kingdom on earth. That's on earth as it is in heaven. We build the kingdom on earth. It's supposed to look like the Garden of Eden looked. We can't make it that way because we're imperfect and it's filled with fallen people. But as best as we can, knowing that within you dwells the Spirit of God and that he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it until that day. He'll complete the work. You're the ambassador. Go do what you're supposed to ambass, whatever that is. We have each this individual consulate within ourselves, which we observe the tragedies of the wicked around us as they uh, try to assault the kingdom of God on earth. So we both defend the kingdom of God on earth and we're in an offensive mode with the sword of the spirit, the belt of truth, the shield of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, feet shot with the gospel of peace. And we go out as soldiers of the cross, defending the castle. It says, verse 22, Then he said to the disciples, The days will come when you'll desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. You'll not see it. I dare say that this poor little girl, her name, we should remember her name better. I'm sorry, it was an odd name. M-A-H-S-A, Masa. Masa Mini. She's a beautiful little girl. I'll leave this up here. 22. That girl would have loved would have had a desire to see the hope of the gospel in her day, but she didn't see it. Those that are lost in Romania or Iran or Peru or here, they don't realize that the, that, um, the Lord is near to those who desire him. He's near. He's close. But he's not accessible. He can become less accessible as his spirit is removed from a land people greatly desiring to see him, to touch him, to know the truth of the gospel, to grow spiritually. And he withdraws himself. Seek the Lord while he may still be found. Well, that means there's a time where he won't be found. There's a time when he completely withdraws his hand. And we see it in Romans 1. We'll see it here in a minute. Romans 1 and 18, where the wrath of God dwells on men. It's because he withdraws his hand and lets men do whatever it is they want to do will want to see that day. The hope of the believer rests on this. And I was looking at that Voice of the Martyrs prayer guide and, and I was seeing the torment of all these brothers and sisters in Christ around the world and what they deal with on a daily basis. And, and the only thing they have to cling to is their eternal hope. And we're not, we're not uh, wise enough to cling to our eternal hope. We keep trying to cling to stuff here. 
instead of clinging to stuff that's eternal. Do you see it? You don't believe it about yourself, but I'm telling you, I could hurt you badly. I could come over there and take your cell phone out of your pocket and smash it on the ground. You'd cry like a girl. And that's a slight to girls. You would cry like an a injured puppy. Renetta said, I've got to quit saying cry like a girl. You would cry like an injured puppy. You would be very sad. Your hope is in your cell phone. Your hope is that somebody likes your jazz on Facebook. Your hope is in that this political person or whatever does this or that thing. You've made your hope a temporal thing relying on another person to satisfy your happiness. Your hope is not eternal. And it's a tragedy. We forgot that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We're trying to hold on to the body here and trying to enhance the body and exercise the body and feed the body and and clothe the body and all those things. But as harder times come, the believer's desires will change. A true believer in Christ will recognize where he's gotten off track there and a false hope, and he'll want to hear from the Lord. But tragically, it says that the Lord will be hard to find and hard to hear from. When you want it the most, it'll be withdrawn from you. But right now, it's easy. Get all you want. We got Bibles everywhere. Um, Brother Terry read from the, the NI. We even got options of Bibles. You got different flavors of Bible. You can get a Catholic Bible. You can get the NIV, the New Living Translation, the, the Message Bible, which is corrupted, but that's another story. But the point is, is that you got different options of receiving God's Word in a way that you can greatly better understand it. You're not even taking advantage of that. Not you. You guys are super spiritual or you wouldn't be here, but the rest of the believers out there are not doing what they should be doing. Verse 26, it says, And as it was in the days of Noah, so it also will be in the days of the Son of Man. As it was in the days of Noah, so it also in the days of the Son of Man. And look at Lot. Instead of Noah's day, they drank, they ate, they married, gave in marriage. In Lot's day, they ate, drank, bought, sold, planted, built. Um, people, is that true of today? People giving in marriage, um, but also negative things, sexual immorality or cruelty to one another, buying, selling, planting, harvesting, building. But in one day, there was no more days. In the days of Noah, there was a day, and then there was the next day where there was nothing left. In the days of Lot, there was a day, and in the next day, there was nothing left. In Ukraine, there was a day, and in the next day, Russia invaded. Right? They, never, they, they, they were on the border for a while, and they're like, they're just messing around. It's a show of force. And then they came in. And then they bombed the fire out of everything. They lost electricity and water and food and their wheat harvest and all the stuff, right? There was a day, and then there was the next day. In World War II, there was a day, and then there was December 7th. There was the next day. And then there was June 6th, the Normandy Beach invasion, the next day. There was a day, and then there was the next day. And things that weren't true on this day were completely different and 100% true the next day. There was a day two years ago um, in the USA where the border might have been tenuous, but there was four million less invaders. And then the next day, there's all these people that weren't here before illegally or however you see it, but they don't all have the best interests of the United States at heart. And it says, uh, I want to show you in Matthew 24 and 5, just flip over there. It's a little bit more descriptive than Luke, and it's, it's, uh, it's sad. 
again, uh, starting at verse 10, Matthew 24, 10, many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Do we have a day like that? Do people hate each other, even fellow citizens of our country? Just absolutely hate each other. There's a man ran over a guy with his car because this guy, the re Republican guy, was on the road with a sign, a young guy, and a, a, a Democrat guy was in the car and was angry that a Republican guy was on the road. So he ran him over and killed him with his car. And many will be offended, will betray one another, and hate one another. That's what hate produces. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. We have that in this day. Lawlessness will abound. The love of many, well, do we got lawlessness? The love of many will grow cold. Verse 13, though. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. In this gospel, the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Kingdoms rising against kingdoms, famines, it says, earthquakes, it says, pestilences, and all of those are just the beginning of sorrows. There'll be such a great tribulation such as never been seen since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be, and unless those days were shortened... No flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. If anyone says to you, and so on the false Christ, see, verse 25, see, Jesus speaking, I told you beforehand. The righteous goodness and mercifulness of Christ warns us beforehand that hard times are coming. He tells us to be prepared. There's a strategic work of God that's going on among the saved, and it's coming up in our, in our day. Here's what I wanted to show you. So we will assume, just for assumption's sake, there's a pen that's all beautiful and stuff, but very scary looking. Here's a red one. So if you had to think about, say, say con con very conservative area, right, United, in, uh, in Tennessee here, right? And then we had... Um, in New York, we'll make an X where New York is about, and then up here in Vermont, and then right here, Philadelphia, somewhere right in here, Washington, D.C., um, Florida for now is, is not terrible um, with what's going on there uh, politically. And then we have um, St. Louis, we have Chicago, we have Washington, we have Oregon, we have California, we'll get about four X's on there. And then what we have also, you, th you don't think this is all that's going on, right? Then we have an assault from the south of about 2 million people per year, right? Coming up through Texas, Arizona, New Mexico. Then we have an assault coming here, a different sort, um, from Cuba, um, Venezuela, and, and things like that. Then we have an assault coming from the north through Canada that you may or may not be aware of that's largely Muslim-oriented. And so you remember, remember we used to watch some war mo movies and they had the big map of Europe, right? And then they had the, the generals were all standing around. They had all the tanks and stuff. Here's the map. Here's the war. And, and I'm not trying to scare you, but I'm trying to let you know you need to be aware because here's the kingdom. And it's all these views, St. Louis, Chicago, uh, Vermont, Michigan, which is right here. They voted to uh, kill babies. They thought that was a good idea. Uh, Nevada. Montana. And so what happened is whoever, whatever, if it's demonic, if it's just fallen men, whatever it is, largely are coming after the kingdom of God. I'm not saying that Tennessee is the only kingdom of God. I'm just making a point here. 
Don't catch it the wrong way. But um, Chesty Puller, one of the greatest Marines ever, five Navy crosses. He was in the Chosen Reservoir in, in uh, Korea. 15,000 Marines fended off literally a million Chinese and escaped by the hair of their chinny-chin-chins. And one thing that he said was, um, he said, men, we're completely surrounded. There's Chinese, North Koreans to the north, southeast, and west of us. He said, this is an excellent opportunity for us. We can fire in any direction. And that's what we need to see. Because of the persecution, <laughs> because of the persecution of men and governments and politics and all these things, it's looking worse and worse. We read Psalm uh, 43 this morning. It looks like there's no hope, but there is hope. There's hope. There's hope because the, the problem is, is that the ambassadors are largely holed up in this one thing right here. And it's, it's always on the defense. Being in the defense and combat is the worst place to be. You're just asking to get the fire shelled out of you. So whenever we set up in a defense, we always send out patrols or harassing patrols or attacking parole, uh, patrols, even at night or whatever. You don't just sit in the defense. You have to have an offensive strategy. And the church largely is just, they're all, they're all in the little fortress with their guns pointing out going, I hope they don't get us. And a long time ago, they gave up on these other places when they should have been witnessing in those places. Chicago has always shocked me because they're just ate up with strong Christian pastors, pastors and, and churches and so on. But somehow, they just, uh, that place gets more and more wicked. It's, it's terrible. But it's the wise believer, hopefully you, who begins to grasp the seriousness of the times and to whom the greatest blessings will be bestowed in hard times. Um, he begins to understand how great his need is for salvation, spiritual growth, knowledge of the scriptures, closeness with Christ. And in these days, even in hard days, um, he, um, he finds joy inexpressible and full of glory. I don't know how to tell you but his hope gets transplanted from the promises of men to the unsearchable riches, the unchanging, immutable promises of God. I think our failure is, many times, is that we try to put our hope in things that men promise us, and men are fallible. Joel's wife asked me if I'd send her a video, which I didn't have, but I did forget about it. Um, uh, she asked me if I'd send her a video about some things that happened at that little church there, and I forgot. But the problem is, I told her the day before I would. The promises of men are fallible. We do the best we can in some cases, but even in the best that we can do, we're fallible. We're failures. And the last thing I wanted to point out there in Luke 17, 37, it says, wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. The birds of prey, the carrion birds, they'll surround the best cuts of the nation. And when the nations fall, they don't go in there with the, they, they act like they're going to go in and help the nation, but what they do is end up raping the nation and taking anything of value. It's what they did to Ukraine. It's what they did to Haiti every time they have a storm. It's what they do. It's what the nations do. Putting your hope on the nations is it's going to come back on you. So whatever group of people are destroyed, the other nations swoop in, steal anything of value, and further de demean them and destroy them. Because the world only sees worldly wealth as a thing worth gaining. But the believer should have a different mindset. There's only one thing that comes from here and ends up in heaven, and that's the soul of man. And we need to be in the business of collecting souls. 
Souls are the only worthy thing in eternity. Besides Christ, obviously. Let's go to Romans 1. We're not going to just get bogged down in Romans uh, 1.18 through 32 there. It talks about the wrath of God being revealed to men. But I, I had a bit of an epiphany this week rereading Romans. It's not. It's the Holy Spirit speaking. I shouldn't say epiphany. It, the light comes on. You're like, oh, that's what that is. And I really, it's really exciting when that happens. But in reading Romans, if you were to go and read Romans as a whole book, I pray that you do that. It's a single letter written to a church, to a group of people, and it's designed to be read in one fell swoop. And a lot of times we read it, we'll take a plug here, a plug there, Romans chapter 8 or something, be all motivated because Christ you know, hasn't forgot us or whatever. But the design of the book is to be read all in one sitting. And if I read it that way, I see something very special in Romans. Romans 1, 2, and 3 is, um, is Paul's awareness of how terrible people are. And, and Romans 4 through 16 is how to survive. It's a survival manual. It's what believers are supposed to do in times of peril. He outlines the tools of survival that believers can access in uncertain times. So Romans, Corinthians, Ephesians, all the, all the epistles are all written to, a group of, to groups of people that exist in times very similar to ours today. The culture is completely perverse. A lot of, a lot of um, uh, sexual immorality, oppression by governmental officials, corruption, um, rampant murder, robbery, uh, child sexual abuse, abortion was through the roof, feminism was through the roof. It was one of the major downfalls of, of Rome was the feminist movement that really weakened them politically. It wasn't the only thing that weakened them. They out overstretched their military. All these things, the, they turned the military against the populace in these, in these places. And Paul writes these books to these believers that are in days like ours, although we're not persecuted like this, but we could be, and it looks like it's on the horizon, for them to be encouraged so that they fight the good fight until completion, until they die or the Lord returns. He gives them the battle plan. And you think, well, you know, our country's not that bad. I mean, there's nobody killing the little girl for having her hair sticking out of her thing. But I'm telling you, go to New Orleans, go to Las Vegas. I'm telling you, you've not seen wickedness. I know you've, most of you have probably been there at one point or another. But the wickedness that's involved in those places, Chicago, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, more people killed year over year than are killed in combat uh, that were killed. There was more people killed in Philadelphia every year than were killed in combat year over year in the Afghan, Afghan, Afghanistan-Iraq deal in the city of brotherly love. I mean, life means nothing. But look how, look how Paul begins to encourage the people. I told you all the negative, now the encouragement. Romans 1.8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. To have that said of you, I told Joel that yesterday. I appreciated him being faithful, hanging in there. He started his little church with himself and one other family. And that lady was kind of mean. The other lady was. She's still there. She's humbled herself and put herself under his leadership, but that wasn't the case as they started. And now there's about 40 people going there. And there's no tricks and there's no fancy snacks afterwards and coloring books and, and stuff to encourage people to come there. It's just the Word of God. Joel being faithful, going to the homes. During the pandemic, if you are caught outside the, your home, except for your 30 minutes a day, and children were not allowed outside. If you're caught outside your home, police beat you and did all these things, find you and all these things. 
But Joel was faithful. He went to people's houses and he snuck into their houses and he took food to these people's homes and he worked with the widows and he worked with the orphans and he did evangelism in people's homes. And now he's seeing the fruit of that as his church has developed and growing. And it's good to see. Um, it's good to see God's people doing the work that God's called them to do. I thank you that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. I pray that's true of our fellowship. Paul raises the awareness of spiritual things coming apart, like I said, in 1 through 3, and in 4 through 16, he gives us the tools for survival. And so from 1 8, go to uh, 1 verse 12. Well, let's start at 11. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. When Christians get together in the U.S., generally we talk about how good Tennessee's doing this year or how great the one sports team did or another. Um, we talk about our kids. We talk about a lot of things. But one thing we tend not to talk to is the mutual faith of both you and me. When we, see ourselves, when we see ourselves out in public or we see ourselves even in the fellowship, a lot of times I overhear conversations. It's not wrong necessarily. It's not wrong. It's, it's okay to talk about the things of life. That's what we do. It's God made us to be people and relational and all those things. But if you, if you notice, how often do you speak about deep things of God and how often do you talk, talk about temporal things that have no, no import? But these people, under great persecution... When they got together, they talked about the things of God, how good God was and how he cared for them and, and how he was working in this person. They saw that person saved. They saw a new guy baptized. They saw a, a centurion saved. They saw a lady by a, a pond, uh, Lydia. They saw her saved and baptized. And then she began to care for them. And, and they had stuff to talk about. And it was about the growth of the kingdom of God. And look at verse 15, 1 verse 15. So now Paul's kind of to turn it back on himself. So he's talking about them. Really proud of y'all. Thanks for being godly. Number two, um, it's good to see you guys being in mutual faith with me, with you. We talk about things of God. Verse 15, so as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. The Jew first and then the Gentile. Thing one is, he knew the word of God, he was ready to preach. Many Christians, if you talk to them and you ask, have you ever shared the gospel with someone else? Well, no, I, no, I have. We call them uh, corazón de pollo, heart of the chicken. We're afraid to go to the person and speak to them and say, man, you're on the threshold of death. And I have the very words of life. Let me give it to you. And if they hear it or they don't, but don't be a chicken heart. You got to speak. You can't expect them to know because you walk a certain way. They'll, they used to call it lifestyle evangelism. That's the biggest lie of the devil that was ever produced. Well, I'll walk in a certain way and I'll see how happy my family is, how we all love each other and whatever. And every now and then I'll tell them about my church and maybe they can meet a friend of mine from church and then they'll tell them. That's a lie. You've got to use words. Peter and them, they're in prison. They get out and they pray for more boldness. Maybe they could beat us more next time and then more people could see it and they could hear, more people could hear the gospel. And we're like, well, we hope nobody raises their voice at us or tells us to go away. That would hurt our feelings. I was talking to some guy. <laughs> it was kind of funny. I was at Bucky's and I was talking to a guy who was driving his truck. And I was talking, everything was cool. And I said, hey, man, uh, you go to church anywhere? He's like, ah, I don't even want to hear that jazz. And, and then I said, well, let me give you this Gospel of John. Anyway, you could read it while you're on the road, wherever you're going. He said, man, get off my truck. <laughs> I'm like, okay. 
wasn't that nice a truck anyway. Carry on. No. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, I mean, what does it hurt? He didn't hurt me. I could have wrestled that guy down and made him take the gospel of John. <laughs> no, I say that. I'm old and frail now. I'd probably throw my back out or something. But the point is, is that what are you afraid of? It's the gospel is free to be dispersed by your lips as an ambassador for Christ. You can't just wear some nice clothes and people assume you're a Christian. Look at Mark Underwood. That's the scraggliest guy you ever saw. But he's excellent at proclaiming the gospel. It's not how you look that's going to bring someone to Christ. It's what you know about the gospel. He says, I am ready to preach the gospel. How was he ready? He knew beforehand. If you don't know or you feel uncomfortable, then practice with your spouse, practice on your kids, practice on the dog, whatever, and then go out as best you can and speak the gospel. This one guy that we, we led to Christ there, and, and it was pretty fun to observe, led the man to Christ, baptized him, really hard-hearted fella. The next day, another man's there who he'd had some conflict with. Elias starts talking to this guy about the gospel, and this guy's hesitant. The man that was hesitant from the day before, he pipes up and immediately begins to tell him what Christ had done for him, that he'd saved him, and then he got baptized. And you need to get saved and baptized too. That guy wouldn't save 24, 12 hours. And he was bold in his witness. Whatever you know, as best as you can tell it, tell it. I'm not good at telling. I feel like an idiot. Be an idiot. Because the reality is there's going to come a day, and it says the watchman who does not speak, he puts both the wicked in distress and the righteous. And it says the blood guilt will be on you. The blood guilt was a major deal. Um, the blood guilt is you're taking the life of another. So by not sharing the gospel with somebody, you're carrying their blood guilt. If you know you've been prompted by the Spirit to speak to that person, you better speak or the blood guilt falls upon you. So not only was Paul ready to preach, but he knew the truth of the gospel and the power thereof. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, both the Jew to the Jew first and then the Greek. He knew the power of salvation. He was willing to be martyred for it. He knew it. He understood it. He'd seen that Christ was a martyr and that he too, to be martyred, was no big thing because absent from the body is present with the Lord. We consider martyrdom if we put a little thing on Facebook and somebody gives us a thumb down. That's not martyrdom. Getting hit in the face with a stick for speaking the gospel, that's martyrdom. For in it, it says, verse 18... Uh, well, verse 18 talks about the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against un all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest to them for God has shown it to them. Um, you know, we used to see these guys more than we see them now and I've been as guilty as you have. We didn't like the street corner preacher guy. He was a bit of an embarrassment to us. He's bold. He's yelling at people going by, yelling at cars, right? Waving his Bible, right? And both believers and unbelievers mock this guy. And so we put him on the shelf. And now there's no one to profess the word of God because you ain't doing it. I'm not doing it. So whatever work they did, whatever calling they had by God was suppressed by those of us that weren't praying for the guy or encouraging the guy or even exhorting the guy like uh, like uh, Aquila and Priscilla. 
Apollos says something's a little off track. They take him aside. Like, hey, what about this? That's what it is, right? At least they exhorted him. At least they encouraged him. They didn't stop him from preaching the gospel. They didn't demean him in his gospel preaching. I, I realized that some of this wrath of God revealed him up from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Some of these people were believers that the wrath is revealed against. They were believers that had suppressed the truth of God for fear of speaking it aloud. And so God's wrath is revealed against them as well. It's a shame. So can we become like Paul? Can we become like Jeremiah and that we're bold, we speak to whoever? Can we become like Paul and that we, we speak to whoever will hear? But it takes two things. The first was we've got to know the gospel, and the second thing is we've got to know the truth of the gospel. And the last thing I want to tell you is this. 2 Samuel 24, um, 16, in that, I told the people that this morning in the Bible study time, but um, the threshing floor of Arauna, A-R-A-U-N-A-H, 2 Samuel 24. So King David, for the most part, was a good king. He made some bad calls. In the end there, he, his pride gets to him, and he's like, how many fighting men do we got? And his, and his main general says, I don't know if we need to be counting those. If you recall in the Old Testament, we were told not to, keep, not to take a census. David says, go take a census. I hold the sword not in vain. He says, okay, okay, I'll go get the census. He gets the census. It's almost immediate that he's convicted in his spirit, David is, that he's done wrong. The Lord says, I'm gonna, you got the options of these punishments. He takes the, he sees God's hand on the people and around 70,000 die because of his bad call. There's this man, Areuna. He's not unaware of the political thing that's going on in the world. But it says that he's on his threshing floor, threshing. So he's whipping out the wheat, beating the grain head out of the wheat stalk, throwing the stalk to the side on his threshing floor, a big slab. It says in verse 16, let me go to it, 2 Samuel. It says in verse 16, when the angel stretched out his hand over Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the destruction and said to the angel who was destroying the people, it's enough, now restrain your hand. The angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Arauna, the Jebusite. He's right there. I don't know if Ariuna is aware of it or not, but the presence of God is right there. And he's putting the hammer down on the people. So David speaks to the Lord. He hears from this angel of the Lord. He asks for mercy. He's told to purchase the threshing floor of Ariuna. And you'll see later on that this is where the temple is built by Solomon if you want to hang in there and go through um, Chronicles. But the point is, so first the angels there, Ariuna threshes the grain. Nope, nope, I, yeah. First 70,000 people die by the bad call of the government. Next, the angels there by the threshing floor. Ariuna keeps threshing. He threshes for the people that die. He threshes with the, the king of kings standing there. And now the king of the land comes to him. And only then does he stop threshing. Because he's called to a different work in that moment. The point is, is that he works as unto the Lord until he's called to do something different. He keeps threshing. 
For us as believers, our daily mission should be studying to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, becoming thoroughly equipped, mature, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That should be our, our daily desire. And we keep doing that until the Lord either kills us, oppresses us to death, or removes us from this earth, or whatever he does, or puts us in a different ministry. But that is your calling. And you're to speak the word with boldness. I believe that our country is under assault by the evil one, and he's confused the minds of many. But we need to be like Paul in, in that, remember the Macedonian call? He sees a man, and the man says, come over here and help us. We need to go to our brothers and sisters, our neighbors, and we need to help them. We're going to have to dig down through that hardness of heart and that shell of arrogance and atheism and so much what else is in them and present to them the gospel. We can do it. We can't just stay in the fortress. There's the, there's the plan of attack. It's already, it's already working, and it's going to squeeze down so you're smaller and smaller, just be us in the fort. And eventually when they get to the fort, they set up the battering rams and they beat down the door and they kill everyone inside. So while you still got room to operate your patrols, um, go and do that. Come and help us. The last scripture I'll read to you is Joshua 24. Joshua talking to the people. 24:14 Now therefore fear the Lord serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt serve the Lord exclamation point And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord choose for yourselves this day whom you'll serve either the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of Amorites in whose land you dwell but as for me and my house we'll serve the Lord People answered and said far be it for us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods Okay. Do you believe it? Can you confess with your mouth that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord? If so, serve him in obedience. And by obedience, I mean, do what he called you to do. Care for the widow and the orphan in their distress. Preach the gospel. Go make disciples of all nations, teaching them everything I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them all things I've commanded you to teach. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Go do that. You can do it. You have what it takes. Father, this morning as we come together and we read your word and we hear it, Lord, I pray that the people will be encouraged that no weapon formed against us shall stand, that you are in control, that you're driving the bus. Father, that it's your kingdom here on earth that we're supposed to be prolonging and, and engaging in and developing. And I pray for us as we're here and we have different things on our minds, different things that we think of as important, and, uh, and we ask for you now, Lord, to, to convict us in spirit, Lord, and to change our hearts, that we would see the lost and the helpless and the hopeless out there, we would see them as those in need of care, and that you've put us here to be the caretakers, to be the shepherds of them, the ministers of the gospel to them. Father, I pray for these that are here that they'll have the boldness this week to go tell someone of the gospel of hope, the gospel of peace, and that they'll seek your face while you still may be found. They'll be drawn to you as they draw others to you, I ask for your mercy now on us, Lord, for our, for our weakness and our, our chicken hearts, Lord, that you would embolden us and, and um, give us the, the words to speak in that moment. When we know we're supposed to speak, Lord, give us the word to speak. 
We ask all these things in the name above all names, in the name of Jesus. Amen.